Good morning. Good morning. Feels like we haven't talked in like a month. It's been a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I think we like accidentally went longer than we meant to between things or like we canceled one and then skipped something and Yeah, I do want to I want to apologize to the listeners. Uh we we don't like to have two week gaps. And yeah, I think what happened was we had, we had texted back and forth like two weeks ago, and we we're like, I don't have a whole lot this week. Do you? And you're like, No, not too much. And then, and then I realized I had my my winter escape to Mexico on the calendar the next week, and that just totally like uh, eliminated our opportunity to record that week too. So, you know, stuff well, happens. We're we're back. We're back. It's like that workout thing where they say like, never miss two in a row. That should be our yeah. thing. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, you gotta skip any individual one. All right, fine, but try not to. Don't make it multiple. Yes, this this will not become a habit. Well, it's good to, good to see you again in the flesh. Yeah, yeah, you too. I should be a little more tanned than uh, the last, although I look very white in this video. Yeah, you so. don't look tanned, I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> it's I, the lighting, Ben, it's the it lighting. Is. It is. I got one of those Elgato key lights to install behind my thing, but I haven't, it, it, <laughs> this is hilarious. So I, I, it's, a, it's a Wi-Fi connected light and it has software to control it, which is cool because you don't need an external controller or buttons or whatever. And I went to install it and it was like, you need Catalina to use this. And so I have to upgrade my operating system to control my light. That's that's amazing. You know what I really love too? Like I have some of these hue bulbs in my house so that I can voice command them or run them off my phone, which I'm convinced is really not the best way to operate lights most of the time. It's like sometimes it's convenient, but most of the time it's not. But then you can buy like these Wi-Fi switches mm-hmm. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. so you can effectively control it through this Wi-Fi connected IoT piece of crap that's on your network that yeah. has a lag when you when you click it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's pretty amazing. I, I came Just to the same to, conclusion. Yeah. Like I I did the hue bulb thing for a while and it was kind of fun and like occasionally it's pretty nice. It's like nice to be in bed and to just tell Shmexa like, hey, you know, turn the lights off. That's kind of cool. But most of the time it was just like, oh, I can't actually do this because whatever. And then like someone would like turn off the actual physical switch and then the light would stop working. So I'd just be yelling at this thing and like there's always a man. (laughs) I know. I know. Meanwhile, the the people behind the clapper were like, guys, we've been doing this since the 90s. <laughs> mm. Sometimes the always are best. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what's going on in your world? Yeah, it's been an interesting last couple of weeks for me. Yeah, I got that escape to Mexico, which was really nice. Um, but, by the way, time. tans are yeah. bad. Don't, don't get tan. Well, no, I wasn't trying to. <laughs> yeah. Let's be real. That's <laughs> a strong word. But, you know, it's skin damage. Yes, it is. It's you probably don't want damage. too much of it. Here's how bad, like, here's how white I am. Uh, and that Minnesota makes me especially weak. I was just sitting, like, in a shaded cabana thing. And I really didn't get any deliberate sun exposure. But I think there was just enough UV seeping through that I did actually get a bit burned on parts of me pretty uniformly. Like, I've had sunscreen on, too. But it just didn't matter. Like, I don't know, six hours in shade outside and just enough uv i mean it, it reflects right it bounces around so you can't yeah it's hard to block all of it yeah 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 so no i i don't make a habit of that either thankfully like yeah uh, but uh I've, I've i'm now the guy at the beach with the surf shirt kind of thing like the long sleeve shirt that's like light and breathable and then like a those bucket hats with the brim all the way around <laughs> yeah it's it's so sexy it's the best look <laughs> i'm definitely looking that's, real cool that's the I'm in my 30s and know the risks Absolutely. of these activities. <laughs> it is the 30s uniform for sure. Yeah. 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 
So, but but tans and sunburns aside, I got some time to to kind of step step back from the grind and uh, read some stuff and restock my brain with with perspective and ideas. And the the book I chose to read, which felt very well timed, was I actually didn't even realize it when I when I picked this one out. It had been recommended through another I can't even remember how it came on my radar uh, called Competing with Luck, which is the jobs to be done theory like thesis book. But I mean, the, the premise behind it, the way he phrases it, competing with luck, he's kind of trying to debunk ultimately the idea that in order to build a successful business, you have to get lucky. You have to just like, you know, the, the right concoction of things have to happen at once for, for this thing to just magically come about. And I think, I think that is the path that a lot of people take to arrive at something that, that works really well. But his, his whole thesis is like, there's, there is a process you can you can follow that will greatly increase your odds of of being the lucky one. Kind of a a way to engineer the process of of like discovering the root cause of what causes people to to quote unquote hire products to solve problems for them. I mean, it's kind of just a reframing of 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 something that's very intuitive. That like, yes, of course, people buy products when they have a problem they need to solve. But I mean, the the way that the way that he reframes it around, like, you need to ask yourself, like, what progress are your customers trying to make on something in their life? And what is the what's the actual like context around the decision to to actually pull the trigger on buying a product? And oftentimes when you look at things through that lens, it yields like much deeper reasons than like the ones that are kind of obvious on the surface. Like, right. Or easy to get. Uh, like, how did you hear about us? Right, right. And like, if you have an existing product, asking questions like, what would you change to make you happier with the product? You know, like he uses a mattress example of like the worst thing to to ask in order to figure out how to grow your mattress business is to ask people like, hey, how can we make this better? Should it be springier or, or softer or whatever? Like that's that's not the right line of questioning. It's like you need to get to the root cause of like what causes people to actually make the decision to go out and buy a mattress and what's going on in their head and how can we speak to that to that particular pain, right? I mean, the idea is to do these, to interview people. You need to, you know, you need to learn about their lives. You need to learn about their context. And I mean, it should be probably kind of centered around the the problem space that, that you have in mind. So I think of it as like, you need to, you need to form some hypotheses, but you also need to stay fairly zoomed out to get the full context around kind of around you know what else is going on in their in their head in their life in their decision making process in order to to kind of figure out how best to speak to speak to the the problem the root mm. the root yeah problem. i noticed your questions on twitter uh, had zoomed up a level of abstraction yes yep <laughs> so i mean it's probably clear anyone who's kind of been seeing what i've been you know publicly um tweeting and pulling and and prodding at i am in the process right now of kind of hedging my opportunity bets. So Staticit is still very much a, a going concern. It has customers, it's running, but I mean, it continues like gaining meaningful traction continues to be a challenge with this. And I think there, you know, there are certainly some aspects of, of the business model that, that give me pause, like, like an inherent high degree of price sensitivity is just, that's just a, the quality of this type of product, right? The fact that there are lots of there are lots of different options, kind of speaking to the same value proposition, and I think I have some unique some unique twists on it that make it particularly nice. But 
is that enough? Or is it like, well, really, I don't care about your unique twist that much. And I'm just going to go with the $4 a month thing. You know, like, it's it's a lot of um, kind of race to the bottom type competitiveness in the space. And I think my goal all along has been to break out of that and, and to kind of take the take the innovation in this, like, what's the next step beyond just basic form endpoints that this group of people needs? And like, getting that confidence in like what how can i make this more valuable for people has proved like i still don't have clarity on that and this is very much a process like the jobs to be done thing i if static kit is going to move forward and gain traction and gain product market fit like that's what i need clarity on for that business right and so i am sort of splitting my efforts between trying to like get to the underlying jobs behind why people hire static kit for things and then also kind of doing some exploration in in separate spaces because I've just really become convinced that like this is this is the single most important thing to to get right out of the gate is like fundamentally identifying who are the people that have that are looking to make progress on something and how can you speak directly to that my hope is that I, I know that SaaS always takes a long time or takes longer than you want it to take right but my hope is that by being very deliberate in this in this phase and and really kind of engineering this this process of identifying these jobs that you can you can skip some of the hard stuff at the beginning and get kind of closer to product user fit or product market fit or whatever you want to call it um, totally yeah and and hopefully like building a thing that people are more that is like less of a nice to have and more of like yeah this is actually like a real thing that I want to solve I care about this enough this week to suffer some pain of onboarding or whatever it might be yeah and like another thing that just it just is is true about static kit that it is a someone has pointed this out to me it's a thing that a lot of people certainly feel like they can just build themselves and and they can you know and and the kind of natural path for the tricky part about inserting yourself as a developer tool in a developer's tool chain is that they will they will reach the point either they're not thinking rationally about it on the build versus buy equation and they're just like now i'm just going to build this um or they want to geek out over like this is a this is a quote-unquote easy task for them to (laughs) to spend their time on to to procrastinate on a harder task right or inevitably if they get to the point where they want complete control and flexibility ultimately they want to own all the code in this process maybe it's like if the project gets interesting enough and high value enough, then people are kind of likely to go roll their own anyways in, in a custom custom setup. And so how do you keep your product? You know, those are the people it's most valuable for. But then how do you how do you make it compelling enough so that they're still wanting to use your thing and not just, you know, ditch it once they're ready to kind of go go for real? Um, totally. Have, have you read the Paul Graham essay about schleps? I probably have, but remind me what. The, so schlep is a Yiddish word for like mm-hmm. a painful journey mm-hmm. or like a thing that's annoying to do. And his theory was basically like product, like a good product basically has to do a schlep for you. It has to sound like a schlep from the outside to actually be a good idea. And like f- static form endpoints sounds a little bit like, oh, that could be fun. I could see how you would do this. And I could think of some interesting ways to do this. Um, but you actually probably need to build something that sounds like Oh God, I do not want to be responsible for doing X. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So it's and like I think you that... have to decide what schlep sounds good to you that mm-hmm. you would enjoy working on for a while. 
Right, because you, probably... you have to take that on and right. do the schlep yourself. Yeah, if you don't schlep, it's not going to be that useful because you're not saving someone the schlep. So yeah, you guys had to learn Swift and C and all the Rust and all these like <laughs> gnarly things and like yes, indeed. And, and yet you conquered it, and now like no one's going to, no one thinks like I love Tuple for this illustration because like no one thinks I'm going to just go and roll my own uh, remote pair programming tool. Yes. Like you would never think about doing that. So it, it is good for that reason for sure. Yeah, yeah. So I think that that was sort of like my one of my thoughts about Staticit was just like uh, there doesn't seem, there's not enough of a schlep there maybe yes. to be like to to scare someone away from 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 it basically yeah yeah nope that's a that's a really good point so I mean I can say broadly like the the area that I'm and this comes as no surprise if you've seen my tweets like I'm getting at kind of the realm of managing your time and your calendar and your productivity and you know, one thing I learned from from the level time period is that there's there is a lot of pain around that from a lot of different angles <laughs> for a lot of different people. You know, there's uh, and certainly different segments manage it differently. Individual contributors, makers on teams have a completely different type of schedule than managers and who have a different schedule than than kind of founders and leaders who are kind of wearing many hats and and dabbling in in kind of maker stuff and in managerial type stuff and so i think there's there's unique challenges for each of these groups and there's potentially always room for for kind of a an innovation in this realm and i think a lot of a lot of tooling that is around schedule management and calendaring is very broad very general and what that's what that says to me is there might be there might be some opportunity to niche down a bit into a still a very large niche, but but a niche nonetheless who has kind of more unique demands or is trying to make progress on things in a way that a general purpose tool is not really helping them do that. And so, so that's kind of the angle that I'm exploring. Cool. Excited yeah. to see what happens there. Yeah, and I am actually I'm I'm engaging, um, doing kind of jobs to be done interviews right now. So they're. I think they're pretty fun to do, like on the interviewee side, because really it's just me peppering you with questions, learning about your life, and um, you know you get so to. What's more fun get, than talking about yourself? Exactly. Yeah, you get to get you get to be introspective, and you get to reflect on on some things. I, I hopefully they're interesting questions. So, um, if you are interested in helping me out and sharing your story with me, do hit me up either on Twitter at Derek Reimer or Derek at DerekReimer.com. Email me. We can get something scheduled. So re- that would really help me out a lot. So, yeah. Do it, people. Help Derek yeah, out. Please. <laughs> Hit me up. Cool. I'm imagining things in my head of maker schedules and manager schedules and how your calendar looks and how it's chopped up versus not and quality scores of amount of focus time. And I mean, there could be some interesting things. The, the thing I like about it is that there's pain. Like people that are getting interrupted are like, there's definitely could be some pain there. And also, if you can make people more productive, you're unlocking something really, truly good for the world. Yes. Yeah. No, and that was always, that's what I always loved about Level was that it was really, you know, you don't always get to work on something that's somewhat missional, somewhat like I can really, you know, because there's no there's no shame in building an, an app that's like, it's a CRM tool for this niche and I really don't like have any like... <laughs> like real missional component to it. It's just a, it's just a line of business application that needs to exist. And it was an opportunity that I've seized and there's, that's fine. But I think it's, it's doubly better when you can also get like some kind of, some kind of core to it. That's like, oh yeah, this is actually something that I think will make the world a better place and not just, 
not just a marginal yep. improvement for some niche. And so that's also what I think that would be something that would help keep me going, you know, if I can see, see it helping people make progress in that way. Totally. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so what's going on in your world? I think a lot. <laughs> we got a lot going on. Yeah. So I guess I'll probably start with the fact that we are looking to hire a part-time developer, which is pretty cool. That's a big step, man. Yeah, it's a big step. We're starting part-time. We're kind of dipping our toe in the water. I think it's some of it's just like expanding beyond the original three is a little scary. Also, just budgeting-wise, it's nice to start kind of low a little bit. But yeah, we're looking for someone to sort of uh, to pair with Spencer and be another set of hands on the engineering side with uh, Mac OS slash C++ kind of experience. Uh, hopefully someone that has deep knowledge and like so tuple has a ridiculous amount of domains and technologies in it so no one knows all of them uh, but so we're hoping to find someone that can that has deep knowledge in like some of it like maybe is really great at c++ or like knows a ton about real-time streaming or is a webrtc expert or something like sort of really deep on something and then has like some experience with the rest so we can kind of like level up spencer and increase the team's knowledge and then also be you know productive on the other parts so yeah, so I, I put up a, a thing. We're getting a, a decent number of applications, which is it's cool. It's man, it is it is nice to have a following and an audience. That sure is mm -hmm. handy. Mm -hmm. I thought the the job posting was really well written too. I mean, no surprise there. Um, <laughs> but I I think it especially struck stood out to me. Like, here's why you would want to work with us. Here's my why you might not want to work with us. And I mean, I think. Companies could certainly use that as a gimmicky way to be like, uh, you know, we're, <laughs> you know, if you don't like working with people who are too nice, maybe you wouldn't like working with, the, you know, like they could use that in a way that's like really uh, <laughs> slimy. But I felt like it was yours was just honest, like uh, the things you pointed out were like, no, these genuinely might be things you don't want. And I think it was really crafty because you can kind of uh, by by putting those up front, it like kind of. You want to be really, you want to have strong filters with this type of position, right? You don't want someone coming in who has a vision of what their job might look like when in reality it doesn't, you know, doesn't look like that. So, yeah. That was, and yeah. it's, to me, in a way, that's kind of the best sales technique is like, don't try to be pushing everyone towards it. Don't pretend that there's no downsides to it. I feel like by admitting that there are drawbacks or like reasons that, that we might not be a good fit for each other you build more trust and also then yeah let, let people self-select so I, I just think this is i think it's a good way to quote unquote sell almost anything actually people can go read that it's up on our site if they care people tend to ask like um so i we, i created like an application if you are applying and people tend to ask for questions that they, they usually like to know what my survey questions are so i figured i would just share them here just because like when i ran that like um survey at the beginning of the year to ask uh, our customers how things were going i get a lot of people asking me for those questions so i'm just going to share them once here and save myself the emails just in case so the, so basically after catching some basic things like name email and where they are i ask what's your background and what are you interested in uh, which is a question i actually stole from the stripe job application and these are all free text so I, I we don't ask for a resume or anything i just like just write and like tell us stuff the next question is uh, why are you interested in working with us specifically uh, and then how can we get a sense of your abilities? Can you link us to something or provide code samples? And again, that's like intentionally kind of vague. Like if you want to point to a portfolio or a, port a single app or uh, whatever, or links to something else, blog posts, that's just sort of general. And then uh, what are you currently trying to improve about yourself? 
And that's just to sort of like flesh out our view of them as a person. I think that's kind of just an interesting question to ask people in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe a narcissistic person or someone with like a, a certain um, strong personality tendency towards something negative. That my question would probably reveal quite a bit about them. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. sure, yeah. yeah, it's 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 less there to like you know catch people who are super weird and more just to like tells. I think it's kind of an interesting chance to reveal something about yourself. Like it sort of talks about your passions and where you want to be going and what you are maybe not as satisfied with and want to change, which I think is interesting. And then there's just a general catch-all, like anything else you want to tell us? And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I know you guys have really enjoyed being in in the same space together, not remote. I noticed this is a remote uh, posting. It is remote. Yeah. I, I actually have very conflicting feelings around this. So I'm, I'm, I much prefer in-person work. I really love uh, human interaction and in-person stuff. That's a face-to-face. I'm all about it. It's harder to hire someone uh, if they have to be in Boston. And we don't even really have an office. So bringing on someone and being like, uh, Joel, can this person also come to your house? And like, is, and like, does this person want to come to your house and work in a second bedroom? And it's like, it would be a big change to go from, to, to add an a in-person human right now. We do work remotely at times. I went to the vineyard for a month. Spencer, Spencer went to Maine for a while. We want to have the ability to be sometimes remote. I, I think Spencer is more interested in like possibly even being full-time remote at some point. So I, I think we, I don't think we actually quite have consensus on this. Maybe there's a, a battle coming or like a conflict coming. I'm not sure. But for this thing, it makes sense for the remote just because of the, like the space constraints and it. You know, it's and it's a fairly small commitment. We're not hiring a, a like a W two full time person kind of thing, so it's not. If if remote turns out to not work or something, it's like okay, well, um, this is not a huge thing to unwind. Yeah, yeah. Have you thought about like um, doing like a like a like a WeWork type thing or something where you guys have a yeah yeah. yeah. There's a there's a co working space right um, in the, the the nearby square that would conceivably work we looked at it in the beginning uh, when we had no revenue and we're like actually this is way too like yeah we're not gonna <laughs> rent an office now this is way too expensive but now we could afford it so that we have an option to expand into that and just just the other day actually i was walking and i saw a sign on office building that said office for rent and i walked over and i looked in the windows and i was like hmm interesting it was funny to be in that position where suddenly that sign was like oh yeah maybe i do want that for like my whole life, I've never, that would never have registered. But now it's like, oh, you know, maybe we do want an office. Let me go look at this. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, it was a fun, it was a fun moment when we like, when Drip officially had our first office and it was like in this, there was a lot of energy in the building because it was, it was like a bunch of small tech companies kind of taking over this. It was not a particularly nice building. This was like, this is like the, <laughs> the VO.1 for the, what became a much nicer building in, uh, in Fresno back when we were. We're there, um, but it was cool to be around, you know, around other people doing, doing kind of cool tech stuff. And we were in this tiny little office. Our chairs would knock into each other when we rolled them back. But there was something like very uh, quaint about that. And I always have fond memories of, of coming into the office. And it just, I don't know, something about it felt, felt different than meeting in on Rob's back porch, um, <laughs> which was fun. But uh, yeah. I could I could see that it feels more like you're like all right I'm I'm going to work this is a business we're we're yeah. doing business things yeah it feels yeah. like progress or something I don't know mm-hmm. sure yeah so that's interesting two other sort of like large topics 
one thing is, man, writing is better than talking when it comes to like business communication. So I had a couple experiences recently. So one is we were working from home. And so, and Joel and I were kind of going back and forth about this feature that we want to build. And because we were working from home, we couldn't really talk about it. Actually, I was, I wanted to talk about it. And Joel was like, why don't you write something up and then I'll read it and think about it, which was a great suggestion because forcing myself to write it up made it clearer in my head um, and really sort of solidified it. And then Joel came back with some excellent objections that were clear and, and he had time to sort of think through and write up. And then I came back with some other stuff. And I think the, the, the final decision that we made was much better than if we had had a conversation about it. And I, we've had this experience of talking about a thing for a while and we don't really get anywhere with it. Like we don't, concrete stuff doesn't come out of it. And our thoughts are not very structured. But when you have time to read a thing and process it and then write your response and be like, do I agree with this? Is this actually how I feel? Actually, no, let me go change this. Oh, let me like write this up. Uh, it's just the, the quality of the communication was was more efficient and better, I think. Yeah. And I think of a trap that a lot of people fall into because I recognize this in myself where like, you know, should this be an email chain or should we just hash this out real quick, quote unquote, real quick in person? And I think we... I a lot of times have the perception that like it's going to just be faster and more efficient to talk about this than than do it over writing. But in reality, I mean, if you think about it, you're compressing your ability to think things through <laughs> in the back and forth into a stretch of seconds as opposed to yes. minutes or hours. And then there's no like durable artifact. Like other people, it's harder for people to like catch up on that thing or for you to refer back to it. When like procurement people reach out to me or sales things reach out to me now, often they're like, how do we connect? Like, how, like, should we, should we do a call? And that seems to be the default in the sales world. And maybe that makes the most sense because like face-to-face interaction builds more affinity and that helps you build trust and all that. So this might be a, a bit of a special case. But I notice when I say, I'm happy to do a, a call, here's my Calendly, but if you have specific questions, I'm happy to answer them here. And usually what I find is they have two questions. The default and what feels easiest is like, let me talk to this person. And I think the reason is like, you don't quite know what your questions are yet. You just have this like, I want to accomplish this goal. Let me go talk to a person who can help me. But if you take the time to like sit and be like, what actually are my questions? There's fewer of them. And I've experienced this also with security assessments. So we've, we've gotten very busy lately. And so when people send me these like giant security questionnaires, I've been saying, hey, to be honest, like we're very swamped right now and we're a small team. Here's our security page. Uh, if your security folks have questions that aren't answered here, I'm more than happy to answer them. Just let me know, and then I'll update the doc too. And what I find is people will send me a security questionnaire that has probably 120 questions on it, free text. And when I do this move, their security person will come back with like eight things, six of which are usually already on our security page it's easy to make someone else think about the things, but being forced to like, what do I actually need to know? What actually has to happen here? It's like, it's a little bit like a call kind of just pushes the work into this amorphous thing that you both are then doing versus um, here's a written version of this. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think it's, it's that fallacy of like, like it feels like, Oh, let's just deal with this synchronously and that's will be more efficient. But in reality, it's like, 
doesn't give people a chance to think and it doesn't give you a chance. Like if you just take a second to assess, like what information have I been provided? What information do I need filled in? It is yeah. actually more efficient. And the, the questionnaire is, is maybe not the best example because it is written. So, so kudos to like actually having a written version. That's, that's nice, right? Then I can do it asynchronously. Um, but just this, I'm sort of thinking this in general as like writing versus talking, but also kind of saying no by default. Like I'm trying to be a little bit more guarded with my time. So it's like if I can skip a call and have it be an email or skip a giant security assessment and have it be an email, um, these are these are worth real benefits to the business. And so uh, I try at least. And a lot of times it seems to be working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think that's good. And that's like the the Amazon thing too. Like before they go into meetings, you yes. have to do like a write-up, right? And that's, right. Yeah, you uh, can't bring an issue to like the leadership team unless it is in the form of a written memo. And so the meeting starts with everyone reads the memo and then they make a decision. Because even if you're reading it in the meeting, it's more efficient than discussing it live. Yeah, because someone has taken the time to like really flesh it out and provide all the data you might want to know and and put it into a coherent thing. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, that's that's how I function best getting my getting my thoughts transmitted to people i feel like i mean i've been in a, a fair number of meetings did a lot of meetings back when after the drip acquisition when there was just a lot of stakeholders to to gather together in the room and talk about stuff and uh i'm not i'm not one who is like uh extremely vocal in meetings usually because i'm like i'm taking in all this information that's just flying around and like for me it would be a it would be much nicer if i could just like <laughs> get this in writing be able to digest it and respond in kind that definitely aligns with how I think. And so I feel like I'm, I'm often not utilizing all of my um, problem solving capability when it's when it's all just totally. You know, well, you, you sort of points. can't, right? Like, no, you need to let your subconscious chew on it and kind of walk around and let your let your brain process it. And if, if, if you're in a synchronous conversation, you don't have that time. Yeah. Actually, one of the best calls I think I did was when I was considering leaving my job. And I was actually uh, reached out to Rob and I was like, Hey, can I talk to you about a thing I'm thinking about doing? And he was like, sure. And so he scheduled a time and the evening before the call, I sat down and I wrote up like, here's my situation. And here are like three questions I have for you. And I sent it over. And then when the call started the next day, he was like, thank you so much for doing that. That was really useful. I had a chance to kind of like noodle on these overnight and so I have thoughts on them. And he was already up to speed. I didn't have to say, here's what's going on. And it was just like, all right, let's go. And we had like a really good, really productive conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So recommended. Writing. Yeah. I think it's a Writing. good trick. It's a good technology. Oh. We should keep it. <laughs> yeah. Let's keep it. Let's keep it. Okay. So my last thing. Yeah. Um, I had an interesting day yesterday. Yeah. I saw, so I saw a tweet. It's like, yeah. Um, we're we're experiencing some high volume. Yes, <laughs> and I was like, oh no. Yeah, so it turns out a lot of the world uh, is working from home now, um, uh, much more people than before, and so demand for a tool that might help you work from home is is very high at the moment. And so, um, around nine o'clock or nine thirty, I got an email from our largest customer saying like, "Hey, how's your scaling? Hope you're ready for some volume." Uh, and it was just like this cryptic two word email. And I was like, okay, I think, and I responded, I was like, I think we're good. Basically several hundred additional people from this customer signed up within like a two hour period, um, in the morning. We have a bit of a time bomb in our code, uh, which was, we had a very inefficient algorithm for 
um, pushing updates of who was online. So imagine you're on a 100-person team and some new person comes online. Uh, we would basically need to broadcast, hey, there's a new person online. But we didn't want to mess around with having local state. of like, So we didn't send like a diff of like, okay, now this new person is online. We would instead say, here's the list of online users. The list of online users is actually not a one-time calculation because you have a team that is all your coworkers, but you can also add friends outside your organization. So every user has their own list of online users. Yep. <laughs> I so every time <laughs> someone would come online, we would have to go through every user, find all of the online users that they knew about, so their whole team plus all their friends, and then send that out to them. So this basically worked until a point. We knew this was naive. It was one of those like, let's just ship it. You know, like it, when we wrote this, we had like probably four users total. And so it was like, well, this is dumb, but it works. And let's just move on to the next thing. We have other problems. Um, but the time bomb basically went off yesterday morning. So DDoSing we, yourself. <laughs> yeah, we totally DDoSed ourselves. Um, yeah. So what happened was we have these background jobs that process, that do the updates. But um, because this team hit a certain size where this just like the, the quadratic just got big enough that like now each, up, each update of someone coming on or off uh, was taking like 10 minutes it was just like it almost effectively never finished and it was also stale almost immediately because someone was coming on like <laughs> someone was signing up every couple minutes and so what happened was all of our no matter how many workers we spun up they would eventually just get completely saturated stuck behind these slow running jobs and oh so, queue problems <laughs> yeah so we had so our queue exploded yeah and it appeared that like and, and basically the app was was hosed so like no one was getting updates um, the cool thing was because it's peer to peer, if you could see who was online, you could still pair with them because that doesn't involve our servers, which is cool. So it wasn't a hundred percent down, but if you like signed in and you didn't have the latest version of who was online, it could be a long time until you got it. So we were effectively down. The good news was Spencer has actually been working on a fix for this for about a month. The way that the online users list works is that we connect via action cable to our Heroku instances. And so we maintain these like, you know, thousands of connections to various dinos. Heroku doesn't really love this. It's not a great fit for their service. All our indications were kind of like, this is not quite how you should do this. And like when you restart, if you deploy, it like drops all the connections, right? Correct. Yes. yes. <laughs> so when we deploy, it would drop all the connections, which would then queue up, you know, several yes. thousand background jobs that were never going to finish because they were stuck behind the big jobs. Yes. So we were just like, it's just like a, the architecture was, you know, it worked for a while, mm -hmm. um, but it was just like not ideal. Yep. So Spencer has been working out. We had a hit lunch uh, with someone and we were talking about this and he was like, oh man, yeah, WebSockets is one of those things that I, I always outsource. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, oh, I just, there's like services that just handle, you know, streaming connections and presence channels and messages. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yep. So it turns out there are just things that just do this. So we looked at a couple and we ended up moving forward with this company called Ably, mm -hmm. which literally just does this. Mm -hmm. They have yeah. servers all over the world. They automatically you know, put you on the right one based on where you're located. They uh, have great uptime. They're very fast. They are good at you know, sending lots of messages to lots of clients. They're good at keeping lots of connections active. It's just like, it's their bread and butter. It's what they do. And we didn't have to do it ourselves anymore. So it's like, oh my God, this is great. But it's a big change. So we didn't want to push it out to everyone all at once. So Spencer did the, like the brutal task of abstracting 
what it means to connect to an online users list away so that we could use Action Cable for most of our customers and then test Ably on a small percentage of our customers, which was a heroic effort. So we'd been testing this on several teams for a while, um, uh, but not that long, like a, a week maybe. Data looked good, seemed to work. They had not been complaining, but we had not rolled it out more generally. And yesterday morning, it was like, all right, we're kind of hosed. Maybe it's time to move this giant customer over to this architecture as well. And so we decided to do it. So there were like a couple little UX things we had to change real fast and some decisions we had to make. And then we decided, all right, let's, let's do it. And so we did the deploy and moved that large customer over to this new system. And it worked great. Immediately, just the load on the servers fell to you know nothing. We scaled down our dynos. We shrunk our dynos. We scaled down our workers. It was just like, ah. Oh. It, it, it was working and it took all the load off and the problem was solved. And it was like, what a, what a day, man. Yeah. That, that takes me back. I mean, gosh, there's so many instances like this with involving queues and inefficient things with a, with an alternative solution waiting in the wings. And yes. should we pull the trigger on that? I mean, it is in hindsight, you will look back on this with, uh, in not as not as bad as it felt in the time right <laughs> but, but yeah I, but, uh, I mean we were it, it felt bad but we were honestly also kind of in good spirits i think like i don't good. know it was, yeah it was still we did, i don't think we like quite freaked out fully i would say if it had kept going and we hadn't didn't have an eye on like we think this will fix it it would have been you know it'd be a different yes. state yeah but but yeah it was it was honestly and the fact that it, we figured it out uh, it, mm-hmm. it basically felt kind of fun it was like a, it was a fun day it was cool mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and so now we're planning on moving over more teams to this new setup. And this this new setup is actually better. So so the new thing basically is now rather than having your entire, that basic algorithm of like any change to your team updates everyone is just like pretty hard to make work on bigger teams in, at all. And so now we give you a team directory uh, and you befriend specific people that you care about and we only update their status. So it's just just much more efficient because like on a team of hundreds of people, you're not pairing with hundreds of people. You don't care about the online status of almost anybody on that list. And you have to like go through them or like search through them to find the person you care about. So now you basically like, you know, flag somebody as I care about this person. You get only their online updates and uh, they're pulled to the top of your list. So you don't have to like scroll through a giant list of your coworkers. So it's basically like it's better UX. It's better architecture. Uh, it's pushing a critical piece of our infrastructure onto someone that specializes it so i'm very excited to start rolling this out to, to, to everyone basically and now i feel like we are set up to like handle the the scaling issues that are coming down the pipe oh yeah yeah and i mean i think it's like it's so awesome that you're peer-to-peer and don't have to worry about ship like <laughs> yes. shepherding those bits between people totally <laughs> yeah as long as we get the on like the list of users online right like we're basically we're good um, and I, and I feel like we now are, we're now there. So, or like, you know, we have a, sh- a short hop to, to fully managing that. So it feels super good. Nice. That's great, man. Yeah. Wow. That'll, that'll go down in the, in the tuple history books as a, as a great episode in just in time problem solving. <laughs> <laughs> yes. To be clear, like the fact that we could ship this was because Spencer had been working hard on this for a while. And like this solution was actually waiting and ready and tested and, like we couldn't have started from zero today and been like, okay, how do we move this critical piece out? That would have totally not worked. So 
it was kind of the result of hard work and uh, some a bit of you know forethought of like hey we should probably have an answer to this and prioritization um, and for the last m- like month or so he's been working on this but it, did, it didn't actually solve a problem we had exactly right like the old system basically just worked and so it was like for the last month it has felt a little bit like eh, this is like not a thing that the customers are going to love. They're not really going to see it. It's an infrastructure thing. It feels like we're not shipping new features. Mm-hmm. And it felt kind of crappy mm-hmm. until it was like, wow, we really need this thing right now. And it's already done. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah, it, we got to the point, this was pre-acquisition at Drip when we we would regularly kind of sync up on like, okay, what what's, what's going to break in the next three to six months? <laughs> and like yeah. outline those things and then really just allocate our time accordingly. Like, okay, what what progress we want to make on this during that time frame that will hopefully push us out another another three to six months smart I like um, that. and I, I mean it got to the point where we just kind of had to keep that that background infrastructure thread on the docket all the time even though we really wanted to just say like ah we'll worry about that when it comes and we'll keep pushing features um, yeah totally yeah <sighs> that sounds smart we should probably have a, a chat like that like what'll break next do we think yeah it's not a bad you know thought experiment to or you know back and forth written chain to engage in you know yep yeah (laughs) so um yeah so that was a a heck of experience i feel i feel i feel good it was overall it was like pretty fun and now i feel like all right bring it on we're ready to ready to rock Mm, that's awesome yeah yeah well you might be getting a lot more (laughs) a lot more usage and just just might happen with this remote work this remote work compulsory trend going on so totally yeah so yeah i think that's it for me do you want to want to wrap it up yeah let's wrap it i gotta go uh i gotta go do a workout now all right just sweat <laughs> on show right. notes show notes can be found at artofproductpodcast.com thanks for listening see you next time Bye.